Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you, you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free, and we'd love to have you. Good to see you all. Really good to see you all. Good to be back. Two weeks off. And uh, it was so sweet. It was so sweet. I, I really needed that vacation and I'm so grateful for it. Um, I the, the one the one pain that I had over the last two weeks was, was I, this sounds sort of maudlin, but it's true. I, I, I want this class to be every single week. And it, it's more than just the great joy in, in my life, which it is, but it is also a belief that I have that we should always be in the weekly Parsha. That's, a, that's one of the rhythms of our life. In fact, Jewish law mandates that you go through the Parsha twice every week in the original and once in translation or commentary. So I recommend that to you, but, but I really believe in that. And so it's hard for me to, I want to just every week, no matter where I am in the world to uh, be, be, um, be studying uh, Parsha uh, on on Thursday at noon with you all, um, but it's good to take a vacation. I needed one. I took it. I, I promised that I would find substitutes, but I never found ones that I, I wanted to trust this class with. So um, so here I am. I'm back. And thanks for. Uh, I hope you I hope you studied uh, the parsha. In the meantime, I hope you got a little bit of a fix from our podcast. And just remember that we also have a podcast, and it's just ten or fifteen minutes long, as opposed to this one hour class. I think that there's nothing better than than discussing it all together and analyzing in real time. So I this is the this is the format um, I, I I most enjoy. But um, but the podcast is bite sized and it and it's convenient if you ever can't make this as I as I couldn't the last two weeks. And we did release two podcasts. Um, okay, so um, here's. Uh, the here's 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 what we're looking at today, um, and I just want to. I've done this before. I found this. You know, this is one of the phrases of our new phrases of our culture. But I found it very useful. The phrase "trigger warning" um, for teaching, because I really do need to 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 issue one today. Because the material I'm I'm coming back after two weeks, and I'm coming back with a with a banger or more like a, a, a punch, uh, the material we're gonna look at today is definitely triggering, definitely triggering. Um, we're looking at cases of assault and, um, and death and, um, and, and fam family fighting, domestic fighting. I mean, just really 
really difficult, difficult stuff. And so I do want, if that's, if that, um, if that feels like maybe that's not the right <laughs> mood for you today, then I totally understand. I, I also, um, I also get a little nervous teaching this kind of stuff, you know, as a, as, as a, some, as a lover of this tradition, as a teacher of this tradition, you know, it, you, you sometimes have a tendency to skip over the, the ugly stuff because you want other people to love this tradition and this, this Torah, but that's foolish, uh, of course, because eventually it's just in there. You're, you're going to account, encounter um, the, 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 the difficult stuff, the good, bad, and the ugly. Um, but also, I, I felt, um, as I started to look through the Parsha this week, that um, that the cases we're going to look at, we we that that we have to look at them because that's that's just the point of our discussion today. Um, that they raise this question, which is is a question that we must ask ourselves as students of Torah. What do we do when we come across these parts of the Torah that are so disturbing? What do we do with with this material? Do do, how do we understand it? How do we interpret it? How do we accept it? How do we reject it? What, what do we what do we do with it? Um, and um, and that's that's a necessary question to ask because the Torah is disturbing, not just because oh we're modern people and we have different values now, but also because it, it seems sometimes that the Torah means to disturb us. Certainly, the story of the binding of Isaac is the most classic example. That story is not meant to be um, enjoyed. That is a story that's meant to disturb. And that's that seems clear. Whatever the message, the moral takeaway is, that's a story that's meant to disturb. And when we open this week's Parsha, um, we also find, uh, uh, I, I think, a, 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 an, un an unusually savage um, uh, an especially disturbing um, series of, of laws. And, and you feel that the Torah is almost poking us, punching us, assaulting us with these cases, and we have to figure out what to do with them. And um, our lens today is going to be to figure out what first what the rabbis, our our sages of old, did with these cases, because you know, surprise or surprise, surprise or or no surprise, if you know them, the the, the rabbis did not reject. The, the material they found in the Torah, nor did they always just accept it. Okay, Th those are options we have. We could find disturbing material in the Torah and just throw it out. We're not interested. Uh, we also have the option to say whatever the Torah says, who are we to question it? But that, that neither of those is the rabbinic approach or approaches. We're going to look at several today. And it, it's, I, I do not promise that you will leave this class feeling um, happy and good about our tradition. Um, but I do promise that we're going to ask very important, necessary questions today that that make us wiser, um, more sophisticated, and, and, and maybe more um, equipped students of, of our tradition. Okay, so with that, let's, um, let's jump in. Um, we'll say a blessing. Um, and then, okay, let's say a blessing. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kidshanu b'mitzvotah v'tzivanu, la'asok b'divrei Torah. Okay. All right, here we go. Um, and we're going to look at these. There are 74 laws in Parshat Ki We're in the middle now of the book of Deuteronomy. 74 laws, that's 
that is, or at least by the traditional counting, that's the that is the most um, uh, of any parsha. That's this this parsha has more laws than any other parsha. So, um, so uh, seventy four laws, and um, and it's the first four that we're going to look at today. And as I said. For all of those laws covering all kinds of top, a very a, a veritable catalog of laws, the opening law. Why why would you pick this one to open with? Why would you pick this one and then the next one and then the next one? Okay, so so with uh, with warnings in place and some degree of 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 uh, trembling, uh, let's head into the parsha. So I'm going to um, put a source sheet here now into the chat. Okay, and the first law. Uh, you may uh, know it by name if uh, uh, if you are a regular reader of the Torah. It is the law of the Eshet Yafat Toar, the woman, the beautiful woman, the law of the of the beautiful woman. That sounds nice, but it's not nice. The woman of beautiful form. It is a law um, uh, that regulates uh, conduct in times of war. Because Kitetze means when you go out. Kitetze Lamil Chama when you go out to war. So um, let's take a look here. Um, and prepare to be uh, disturbed. Okay. Kitetze lemilchama aloi vecha un tano Adonai lohecha biadcha veshivita shivyo. When you go out to war against your enemies and the eternal your God delivers them into your hand, into your power, and you take some of them captive. Okay. Now, you know, along the way here, we're gonna we're gonna end up looking at capital punishment, laws of wars. These are things which are not pleasant, but maybe you could say they're necessary. Do we need laws like this? But this, but the so when you think about taking captive, that already is 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 an unpleasant idea. Humans taking one another. War itself is an unpleasant. Uh, but this this particular law is is more than just unpleasant. Okay, and then among the captives, Rita Bashivya Eshit Yafat Tohar. Tohar. When you see among the captives a beautiful woman, a woman of beautiful form. And that language is language we've seen before to describe certain women in the Torah, um, Rachel uh, among them, but actually Joseph as well. Right. So um, so it's it's classic language for a, a, a beautiful person. So you see a beautiful woman, Vikashaktaba, and you desire her. And you take her as your wife, or I don't know, is wife the right word here? You take her as your woman, but the word that here is, is the same word that we use for wife. You take her as your, as your wife. So you are going to war, you take a captive, and now you just like one of them. Now, of course, this happens, um, though this is a, I mean, ra rape uh, in times of war. Um, Un, uh, uh, to, uh, uh, un, unfortunately, is 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 all too common. But this is a strange case of it, where you take her and now she's yours. You've taken her on as as a wife slash prisoner. Okay. So here's the law. Uh, so that's the setting, and I, we're not disturbed yet. Uh, uh, I'm sure we are, <laughs> but but it gets worse. Okay. You take her and you bring her into your house, and she shall trim her hair, maybe shave her head, and let her nails grow. Now that's strange. Uh, she shall shave her head, and and I actually think that's what it is. Gilchad Rosha. I don't. I think this is a bad translation. She shall. Let's just make it because I think the Torah means to have uh, um, 
this imagery. Shave her head, let her nails grow, and remove her captive's garb. She shall spend a month's time sitting in your house, one month sitting in your house, crying over her father and mother. My God, crying over her father and mother. And after that, you may come to her and thus become her husband and she shall be her, your wife. Okay. Like why, we, we can already, why all this stuff? Why the, why the month? Why all these, why all of these regulations? But why also does the, does the Torah allow this at all? As, as if it's some sort of regular, I don't know, move towards, or we would call it marriage, but it's marriage and imprisonment all at once. Okay. Then, if that weren't bad enough, should you no longer desire, what if you're done with her? You must release her outright. You must not sell her for money. I mean, I guess that's good. And the language here is, the reasoning is strange. Since you caused her to suffer, you must not treat her like a slave. I don't even know what to do with that. You know, okay, fine. I, you know what? I need to stop offering commentary, but I, I just want to give you the feeling of every word, every line here. I'm just like, I'm shaken in, in another direction. I, I, I don't, okay. All right. So this is the first case, the case of Eshet uh, Yipator. And we could spend many hours just dealing with our reactions to this case. But today, I want you to just see the sweep here of one uh, law after another, one punch after another. Okay, so that's law one. Law two, and this one actually, we did the podcast on this week. So Vera, if you wanna put the podcast into the chat, we did a whole uh, discussion of this law, but we're just going to, to, to read it and incorporate it into our, into our, um, into our list today. Okay, so second, second law on the list, if a man has two wives, one loved and the other unloved. Okay, so that's already awful. I mean, what a terrible situation. This one isn't necessarily morally wrong. It's just a terrible, what a horrible situation. If a man has two wives, one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the unloved, and you know, unloved is not the right translation. It's really hated. Hated. And the, and, and the, I mean, it's bad, you know, it's bad. And the hated have borne him sons, but the firstborn is the son of the unloved one. When he wills his property to his sons, he may not treat as firstborn the son of the loved one in disregard of the son of the unloved one who is older. Instead, he must accept the firstborn, the son of the unloved one, and allot to him a double portion of all he possesses. That's the law. The firstborn takes what's called the birthright, right? The double portion. Um, since he is the first fruit of his vigor, the birthright is his due, okay? So what's the law there? If you have two wives and you don't really like one of them, even though they've given you your heir, I'm thinking of the word heir because I'm looking, I'm listening, I'm, 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 I'm watching House of Dragons, right? So it's like that kind of like, you know, mid, you know, we're familiar with this from like medieval kings, you know, and like the firstborn gets to be the king, even though the secondborn is the more noble, et cetera. So, you know, it's like, that you could dramatize it that way. But in this case, we know the, the legend that this evokes, right? It's Jacob that had two wives and actually did favor the youngest son. So this is, this is an interesting law. And we discussed this in the podcast because it seems to reflect back on mistakes that have been made. But here we have this terrible case of a, a, a father that wants to treat 
both one of his wives and one of his sons like lesser lesser beings just terrible okay not as alarming as the first case but awful awful okay third case third case third case um is the case also a classic of ben sorer umore the wayward and defiant son or the wayward and rebellious son if a man has a wayward and defiant son ben sorer umore who does not heed his father and mother and does not obey them after they even after they discipline him his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his town to the gate in that place and they shall say to the elders of that town this son of ours is disloyal and defiant he does not heed us he does not heed us and actually we're going to need to change this translation too because this will be important he does not listen to our voice Okay, that's the actual language here. He does not listen to our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the people of the town shall stone him to death. All the people of the town shall stone him to death. Thus you shall sweep evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear and be afraid. Now, what? I mean, this, this presumably is about a, a, a re more than just a problem kid, but someone who's a tyrant, a criminal, a, a, um, a really bad guy, but, but even so. Well, first of all, is he such a bad guy, a glutton and a drunkard? I mean, that's not great, but give me, give me a break. That's not, that's not a criminal. But also, what, who, what parents are these that brought their, their son to the court to be hopefully stoned? This is, well, what kind of law is this? What kind of parents are this? What kind of law is this? What kind of society is this? I mean, it's just, I, I, you, it, it, you get a sense, like, this is a terrible society. It's all full of war and jealousy and, um, and the bad children and bad parents and bad courts and bad laws. And what's going on here? Okay, okay. Um, Richard's anticipating, I see that in the chat. But, that's, but, but soon, we'll soon get to that. Let me give you just the last law in a sweep of, we're going to need all of these because we're going to do some thinking about how they even interconnect. Um, but the last law is just capital punishment, which does, you know, exist in the Torah. People can be, uh, the rabbis are, are, are roll it back a, 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 a lot. But, um, but there is capital punishment in the Torah. We just saw it. And here's another version of it. If a man is guilty of a capital of offense, and is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. All right, already unpleasant imagery, to say the least. You must not let the corpse remain on, sorry, mean ha hanging on, they turned it to a stake, but that's not right. Remain, sorry, I didn't have time to retranslate today on the tree. You must not let the corpse remain hanging on the tree overnight, but must bury it the same day. For an impaled body is a curse to God. A body hanging there is a curse to God. They keep changing it to stake, but it really isn't stake. For a body hanging there, a body hanging there. Sorry about this is a curse to God. I'm just catching up, you know, from my vacation. I'm like, a, I'm going to have time for any kind of real preparation. Um, uh, so the body hanging there is a curse to God. You shall not defile the land that the eternal your God is giving you to possess. Okay. 
All right, so that's it. Those are the four laws. Those are the four laws. The laws of the, the woman of beautiful form, really the woman that, that you take captive in war and make, make your wife. The law of the, um, the, 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 the two wives, one, one loved and one hated, and how you, you, can't, you can't show preferential treatment to the, to the loved one if, if, if the son of the loved one doesn't, isn't the oldest. Um, the law of Ben Sora and Mored, the, 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 the wicked and, 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 and the, the wayward and defiant son, the rebellious son, the uh, disloyal, they, 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 they don't know exactly how to translate those two terms, but something bad about that son uh, whose parents want to have him killed. And then the hanging man, right? The hanging man, just, I mean, the very uh, image of a hanging man, you know, in, in, in this country, uh, uh, surely with our legacy, our, our terrible legacy of hangings, right? It's just disturbing, just disturbing in and of itself. And the Torah seems to be disturbed by it. But that's sort of the, that's sort of the central question here. What is the Torah doing? Because on the one hand, the Torah seems to present these cases as, as, uh, as cases of tragedy, cases of misfortune and calamity and terrible cases. The Torah doesn't seem to be happy with any of these situations, does it? It's not celebrating your capture capture of this woman but but it's but it, but it isn't exactly prohibiting it either instead it's like a slight modification and a slight modification a slight modification don't it's not don't hang the guy it's don't leave him hanging okay of course there we could analyze each case separately and there are different there are probably different reasons for all these cases so i don't want to go drill down too deeply into well this one or this one but right now i just want to take a a breath here and ask, what is the Torah doing? What is the Torah up to with these these terrible, terrible cases and the and the slight pushback on what seems to be the uh, the the moral dilemma uh, within them? Okay, so let's let's start to hear from folks, and then we'll uh, and then we'll t turn and look at, at what the rabbis have to say. So, Matt Silverstein. Um. So what part of what gets me and, and I looked at, at the also the bit before about where when the body dies is these are very legalistic sort of things it's not ritual it's not oh. religious it's very this is legalistic this is process stuff mm -hmm. and that's intriguing me because it's not it's throwing in morality, but it's process stuff. And I just want to point out a little thing, and, I want, and I'll let go, that has always bothered me is you've got a rebellious son, so tell people he's a drunkard. And that gives me no clue as to what, where the offense is, what I'm supposed to, is like, what if he's not a drunkard? Do I say he's a drunkard because that's formulistic? Do I, is the drunkard an exam? I mean, I have no idea how to use that. And yet this is process. This is measure the distance. And here's you know 30 days for the woman you kept. This is process. This is doing stuff. And I have no idea. Even if I want to kill the children, I know the rabbis don't want to do that. But even if I want to, I don't know how to go forward with that. Great, I don't know great, where great, to go. Great, I, I'm great. lost. Okay, good. So Matt gives us a couple of, of really valuable points of consideration, somewhat in tension with one another. In other words, Matt offers a kind of a kind of of, of approach to, to our problem, which is to say, 
yeah, this is difficult stuff, but it's, they are the laws that are dealing with difficult, this is legalistic. And one, they might not be the laws we would want, but many of us don't want capital punishment in our own society and it exists. Many of us would prefer there was no war at all and it exists. These are the laws that, that are dealing with the process of how you move through the world's difficult situations. And in, in some ways, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not an, a, a value statement, a celebration, an affirmation. It is a, it's a, it's a mechanism. So maybe that helps a little bit, but then Matt says, but now that I've said that it's, it's a process, a mechanism, I mean, how, 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 how technical and legalistic and, 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 and well-structured is this process after all? I mean, we seem to be dealing with, the law is telling me that I, I leave this woman in my house. She, the law is telling me she should cry. Right? The law is telling me that this, this kid is a drunkard. And these things seem very specific. The law is telling me I don't love that woman. I love that woman. But it seems like the cases are don't feel like purely legalistic cases. It feels like, you know, like we're doing deep therapy here. So on the one hand, legalistic, and on the other hand, like kind of murky, unclear, interpersonal legalistic formulas here that that it that it's hard to know what to do with. Okay, let's keep going. Payam. Draconian laws exist to tamper our worst natural tendencies. They're not about the person being punished. So the second one is, a, is telling the husband, don't hate your wife, because if you hate your wife, then her son's going to inherit everything and wreak his revenge on you. The third one is trying to prevent the parents from being so stubborn, because the punishment is they're going to have to take him out to the gates and have him stoned to death. And the first one is don't lust after your enemies because you're going to have a bald woman with long nails in your house weeping for a month. Yeah. So they're not about the person being punished. They're about ourselves and the things we want and saying, you know, if this is what you want. This is what you're going to get. So don't want that. Okay. 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 Great. Payam uh, sets us up perfectly with that interpretation. Um, that the, the, the Payam suggests that these, these laws are speaking to our, to the worst in us, to our worst instincts and warning us almost. Now, with that said, I cannot help but turn to, ooh, I'm hearing someone who's not muted. Who is it? Who is that? Uh, okay. Um, with that said, I can't help but now turn to one of these rabbinic approaches. Um, I was going to do, I was going to do another one first, but I, I can't let a thought like that come into our space and not connect it to, because Payam is, you know, we, we say in the tradition, Baruch Shekivanta, blessed are you who, whose mind went where the sages' minds went. Blessed is your, is your consciousness almost, right? So Baruch Shekivanta, Payam, because that is, that approach is exactly the approach that Rashi takes, Rashi, our most famous commentator, and Rashi is drawing from the rabbis of old. When I refer to the rabbis, I'm referring to the rabbis of the Talmudic period, and it is their reaction to these disturbing cases that is the, that is the, 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 the subject of our, of our discussion today. There's a meta subject, which is our reaction to these cases, but we're gonna, we're gonna use the rabbis and, and their responses to these cases to, to see, see, see what, what, what is possible um, and what, um, what our tradition um, suggests we do when we are disturbed. So here I'm going to 
Um, I was going to look at this case from the Talmud first, and this case in, in the Talmud deals with the wayward and defiant son, but I'm going to come back to that. Um, we're going to look at three different approaches today, but I want to look at the second approach first because it's Payam's approach, the one he just mentioned. It almost, Payam, maybe Payam's read this Rashi before, but it's almost, it's almost exactly what Payam said. So this is the Rashi on our first case, and you would take her as your wife. Uh, sure. And Rashi says, Lo dibra Torah ella or hara. The Torah is speaking directly to the evil inclination. Now, okay, Payam just sort of fleshed that out, but I want you to, I want you to, to, to continue to, to meditate on that, what that might mean. The Torah is speaking to our worst instincts, to the evil inclination within us. The Torah is talking to someone who wants to do a bad thing. For if the Holy Blessed One did not permit her to him as a wife, he would marry her anyway, even though it was forbidden. Okay, this is, okay, these are both strange suggestions. The first one is Payam's suggestion that the Torah is talking to what, it, what the Torah, God, Moses, whatever knows is the worst part of us and trying to caution against that, to warn us. So that's already like a strange approach. But then, then Rashi says also that the, that the Torah not only thinks that we would do bad things, but that if the Torah prohibited them, certain kinds of bad things, we would ignore the Torah and do it anyway. I don't know, what does that mean? Maybe, maybe the idea is in the heat of war, um, you know, soldiers become so, I don't know, like untethered in violence that they, they're no longer able to contain themselves? Or is this just, I, will, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, maybe that's, that's one way of looking at it. Okay, and I wanna just, with that approach, I wanna hear what you think about this approach, but let me just, let me fill it out a little bit more because Rashi um, also moves through the case and explains how the Torah is speaking directly to the evil inclination. So then Rashi says, now here's what I'm gonna do. We looked at the first half of this Rashi. I'm gonna skip this and come back to it. So just keep that in mind. I'm gonna skip this second half and come back to it. I wanna go now to the Rashi that speaks about let her nails grow. Why let her nails grow and remember shave her head? She grows them out so that she should become repulsive to her captor. Kadeshit navel. So she become repulsive to her captor. And then, and she sits in your house, in the house in which he constantly uses, which he constantly uses. So when he goes in, he encounters her. And when he leaves, he encounters her. He sees her endless crying and sees her neglected appearance. And all of this in order that she should become an undesirable to him. Okay, so now you have an approach, and you can see Rashi's quoting from all kinds of rabbinic sources earlier than, than him. So it's a well-established rabbinic model. And the model is this, I think, although disagree with me if, if you wish to, but the model is you really shouldn't do this, but you're not gonna be able to help yourself. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tell you, you can do it, but I'm gonna place all these regulations on it. And that much you, okay, since you've allowed me to take her captive, I'll go through this process. But the process is actually meant to make you rethink your choice. So the process is meant to make it seem like, whoa, what was I thinking? Because she's no longer beautiful. Right? She's, become, she's made herself unsightly. Un 
and you have to watch her pain. And then you, at the end of the 30, you can have her as a wife after that, but, but the Torah hopes, hopes, hopes to God that you don't. Okay. Joanne Tortorcia Luna, we, we keep hearing you, you keep unmuting. Um, okay, so here we are. Here we are. That, that's approach one. It was going to be approach two, but it's Payam's approach. What do you think? What do you think? It's such a disturbing case, but is that wise? Is that the Torah's um, psychological brilliance? Right? Or, or at least the rabbi's psychological brilliance? Uh, what do you think that the, of the idea that the Torah might be speaking to our worst instincts and trying indirectly to push us away from it? Uh, I see uh, Noah. Rabbi Kasher, and what a time since, since Elul is upon us. Well, like I said in the chat, we really need to look inwards than outwards. Inwards in our family and in our wider family than the wider world that we can always think we hear our own voices first, but is it our voice? Is it our brother's voice, our father's, our whoever's voice? That may let us get to see, can we really know who it is, whose voice we have in our ears when we're making a decision? Wow, 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 wow. This is like, I mean, the, the, the rabbinic, uh, the rabbinic, uh, 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 um, suggestion here is that we we learn we interpret this and we receive reward for our study and I that is at least that's happening because these interpretations are just so um, so uh, sharp and 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 incisive. So what Noah says is also a real doozy, which is that the let's let's think about this conceptually, spiritually, the idea that that two people have have found one voice. Noah says, suggests to us that we ought to think about the ways in which sometimes our voice is just an, an adaptation, a merger with the, with the collective voice of the mob of friends. And here it's happening between two people, but we can think about, Noah says, the way in which we're, we're always, um, uh, we're always uh, uh, subject to influence from voices outside of us. And we have to be careful to make sure that we don't just join our voices with the madding crowd. Very, very nice. Very, very nice. Um, okay, one more. I want to take one more pass at this. I'll call on uh, Kathy and then and then we'll look at the third approach. Um, well, actually, I was thinking of it sort of going back to what Payam said, because Payam was saying uh, oh, I was really struck by uh, the, the fact that it's not really about the people who were involved. It's really about the people whom you're trying to, you know, uh, convince not to think that way. In other words, it's it's a kind of a, it, it's that kind of hypothetical. It becomes this sort of hypothetical that, in fact, uh, um, shapes behavior. Uh, um, and that that's and that's really where it lies. And so it seems to me that it's not, of course, this is, it has these absurd elements and I totally, you know, sort of uh, accept everything everybody said so far. But in addition, there is this way in which it's pressing you to the hypotheticals in order to kind of stretch your mind, mm -hmm. you know, and to go, 
okay, um, you know, what are the limits of how much do the parents need to be in sync in order for them to, you know, go, well, you know, the whole same size, same voice and everything. That's kind of an extreme, but it does take you to a real consideration of the hypotheticals. And it, it reminds me of other things in the Talmud, like those crazy things about, can an elephant be one of the walls in a sukkah? Now that's crazy. And I actually think that they partly put it in, you know, cause they had a bit of a sense of humor or dark humor or something like that. But it's also going, what, what is a wall? What constitutes a wall when, you know, um, and so on the one hand, it's, it is sort of mind games, but I think it's mind games, not totally without purpose. Um, and that is, that is, I, I, that is a great framing, uh, Kathy. Uh, you're right that you're building on, on some of the uh, comments that we've heard earlier, sort of where Payam started to take us, but um, but you're offering us, a, in using the, the language of hypotheticals, you're offering us a, 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 a helpful framework here because perhaps, Kathy suggests, these are like moral dilemmas, ethical dilemmas. These are like theoretical problems, like the trolley problem, you know, like in, 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 in the philosophy of, of, of ethics, right? If a trolley is going down the track, and it's going to kill five people and you can divert it, but in diverting it, it'll kill one person. Do you pull the lever? Do you take the action to kill that one person so that the five... Now, does that happen? Oh, all these trolleys rolling around. You got to make sure not to, you know, that's not real. It's about thinking about what do you do in such a situation? And that might be a way of dealing with these cases as well. Very, very helpful. Okay, we have just a few minutes left and I want to give us the third approach because in some ways it's not really an approach to moral problems. It's actually more of an elegant interpretation of all these four cases. This is sort of a, this is sort of a more literary approach. But remember, we cut off in the middle of one of those Rashi's. I'm going to return to it because he says there and in one other place, an interesting thing about how these cases might relate to one another, why they might all be presented here in the same sweep. So let's take a look here at the third approach, which is the juxtaposition approach. Okay, we've seen the approach which says that um, the Torah is speaking only to our worst instincts. We've seen the approach that says, oh, the Torah doesn't really intend for these cases to be ever carried out at all. And now I wanna look at the juxtaposition approach. So we're going back to this Rashi. Remember Rashi says, Torah is speaking directly to the evil inclination. Okay, but then take a look at this. Now we have those four cases. Okay, however, Rashi says, if he does marry her, the Torah wants to caution him away from, from marrying her, but if he does, in the end, he will hate her. He will hate her. It will not work out. Why? Because it says just afterwards, if a man has two wives, one beloved and another hated. Who is that man? Rashi wants us to, it's this guy who just took the second wife from the battlefield. And in the end, that wasn't his best self. And so he's going to hate her. And, and I, I think I want to insert in, into this. He sort of hates himself for, do, for taking her. But he just, oh, he wants to be out of this situation. And ultimately, so there's one case that follows another case. And Rashi wants us to learn, oh, it's really the case of the man who hated one wife and, and loved the other that is a result of the earlier case of the man who took the woman off the field. And ultimately, he will beget a wayward and rebellious son by her, right? And then the next case is just a further extension of how this whole situation spirals downward, 
It is for this reason that these sections are put in juxtaposition. Okay, and Rashi just, I, that's the approach. Rashi just picks up on that same thought a little bit later. If a man is guilty of a capital offense, the smichuta parshiot, the juxtaposition of these sections, this and that of the rebellious son, tells us that if the mother and father spare him, he will in the end get into trouble and commit sins for which he will become liable to the death penalty by the court. Okay, now, this, as I said, it isn't really a solution because it continues to affirm some of the, the, some of the logic of the laws. But you see what, the, what this interpretation does, this juxtaposition interpretation does, which is to say, this, these are not separate laws of all the terrible things that we see in our society. This is an account of how one terrible deed leads to another. And things get, when you start by taking the woman captive, it's going to go downhill from there. It's not just that we want you to see her nails grow out and hopefully not marry her, but just know that if you do, everything will be a disaster. Everything after that will be a disaster. Okay, so here we have uh, the third approach, the sort of like the Torah telling a story of one disaster following another approach. We're to read this almost literarily, almost like narrative instead of like a series of laws. Okay. Um, so we are we are at time here. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to to bring the conversation to a close. But I I I can't help but think, and I've had a couple of hands up uh, the whole time. So I'm going to turn to them and then we'll close. I can't help but think that um, th I can't help but 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 ask. You know what 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 do you think of all this? What what do you do? You, do these do these rabbinic approaches? make give you any comfort do you are you are you encouraged by any of these approaches or would or do you have a different uh, a different approach to the disturbing cases that you find in the in the torah okay i mean that's the question that i think in some ways we'll just leave with but let's just like hear a, a, a couple of closing thoughts first from ariella and then from leah well i think that these approaches are there to give us a warning. Like, yeah, you may think it's a good idea in the moment, but, uh, you know, give it a second look. Mm. And um, especially the one with the child, I interpret that as two voices because I would think that it's going to be a lot harder to get both parents to agree. Let's go get my child stoned to death. I would think that the mother would be more of a reason. So I see that as you really have to get consensus from both parents and that, and that can be hard. Yeah. Yeah, got it. Okay, and quickly, uh, Leah also? You will never get consensus from parents when the woman originally was married as a captive. I think that the sages were looking at that, as has been stated before, the product of that union will be a rebellious child. Mm -hmm. And so they really looked, as you said, at the, it's not, there's no ridiculousness here. I think that there is interrelatedness a wheel of all kinds of bad things are go is going to be set in motion through one 
sleazy action, one unthinking action. Okay, good. So it sounds like actually Leah is compelled by the juxtaposition approach, the way of weaving these cases together. I, I wish I could keep taking uh, comments, but we'll end here. But uh, so Leah Leah gives some aff affirmation to the juxtaposition approach. I wonder what folks thought of the writing it out of it never was and never will be approach. I wonder what folks thought of the speaking to the worst instincts approach. I wonder if any of these approaches uh, is helpful to you as you encounter the pieces of our tradition that you are disturbed by. But whether the, these approaches work for you or you have a different approach, um, Ariella is exactly right that the underlying message of all this rabbinic work is that we, we never take the Torah at face value. Okay, the rabbis are not going to just toss laws out. They feel bound to every word of the Torah. They have to make some sense of it, whether you think they've made good sense of it or not. But the rabbis are also, they, they are bound to the Torah, but they're not bound to accept it at face value. They don't take the, the Torah it is. They have interpretive tools at their disposal and they feel empowered to find their way, as I said at the beginning of the class, either around or through these difficult, difficult sections. Okay, so... Difficult Torah today, important Torah today. Thanks to you all for your for your Torah. And I will, I'm, it's good to be back. I will see you again next week. Okay, that's it a taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us, uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m., online at ikar.org, that's I-K-A-R.org. And, uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And, um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that, that uh, we keep our classes, you can, if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discussed there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week. 